it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a good show in store today, but um, opening up with a little, little snippet from uh, Sting, or as I like to say, uh, <laughs> Gordon Sumner. Um, no relation, but uh, it's, it's fun to acknowledge that. Anyway, um, an interesting uh, piece of music from Sting about the Cold War, and looks like, well, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm just uh, digging up some things that came in this morning. Um, have a couple of statements from our senators from here in Michigan. Um, I'll just share one of those. It's... Um, Senator Debbie Stabenow said, I share the horror of the many Ukrainian Americans in Michigan of this brutal, unprovoked, and unjustified attack by President Putin on the people of Ukraine. America will stand strong with all of our allies to do everything we can to protect their freedom and independence and save lives. Um, according to the uh, Detroit Free Press this morning, um, actually have something printing out from New York Times, but I probably won't get to it before we get on to uh, our regular uh, elements of the show today. But uh, in the Detroit Free Press headline this morning, Russia declares war, launches attack in Ukraine, explosions reported. And uh, they did a uh, pretty exhaustive uh, sort of timeline of, um, you know, what has happened and been reported the last few days up to and including now. 
Now, a couple of days ago, and, and completely unintended, um, ended up talking with uh, the new editor-in-chief of uh, a, a new publication. It's uh, in its second quarterly issue, I think, that is just coming out, uh, called the Continental Literary Magazine. And it, it, it explores just some of the great literary minds from Central Europe and the U.S., and uh, the guy's name is, and I'm going to see if I can still remember how to pronounce it, um, Shandor Jez Brunani. Jez Brunani. And um, Shandor was on the show a couple days ago, and he is by profession a war correspondent. He's a journalist. He's covered all kinds of conflicts around the Middle East and in other parts of the world, including Ukraine. And he had just come to the U.S. from Ukraine um, recently. And, and so I was, I was talking to him about the new magazine, the new publication. But because he'd been in Ukraine recently, um, I took a little time to... Uh, ask him about uh, about Ukraine and and um, you can find that the full interview uh, on our website if you if you go to the audio pull down and and go to the show archive look up Tuesday I think it was during the nine o'clock hour but it'll be the name you can't pronounce um, <laughs> you should be able to find and listen to the whole interview but here's here's just a a little, uh, well, just just a little snippet, really, of uh, our conversation. As a war correspondent, um, how is it that you're in the U.S. with what's going on in uh, Ukraine right now? Well, you know, the, 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 the problem is uh, I am covering the Ukrainian crisis for... Since 2014, since the, the Maidan revolution, and uh, what we the situation is very dire, and we are scared. First of all, I was I was in uh, in the uh, in the siege of Devalsava in heavy shelling. I covered the referendum in the Crimea when you know Russians, uh, I mean the people voted there to join Russia. I've been all around. I've been I've seen fighting there. The problem is what we're facing now is an invasion army. Don't forget that, you know, in the past, Russia did not get involved in, uh, with a regular army in this conflict. They send their special ops without insignia. So, but we never seen actually Russian troops building up anywhere. We knew they were Russians, but there was, that was not official. The difference is right now we see an old-school Second World War style of invasion force building up at the borders of Ukraine from all sides. And, you know, the thing is, if they start, they can take the, the capital, Kiev, in like two days. Well, Ukrainians they've already moved. Training support from... Yeah, please. President Putin has already moved Hello? troops into areas that he's referring to as um, separatist, and is that is that a exactly why and he's calling speaking. them peacekeepers? Is is that a, a legitimate sort of characterization of what's happening? I don't think so. Uh, look. 
what we know and we were we have been waiting for so far for an excuse to start, start some kind of uh, offensive. What we see right now is not a full-scale invasion. Uh, there are tensions, and already the Russian troops are moving into the, the eastern region of Ukraine. And these are clearly Russian troops. They call them peacekeepers because they can't call them invasion forces. But we all know what this is about. Crimea needs freshwater support because uh, it, does, it uh, doesn't get freshwater support from uh, Ukraine anymore. So they have to secure the, the, the water supplies to Crimea. So they want to cut out small pieces of the body of the Ukraine uh, one by one. They probably are going to take two cities and then stop, and they will do it every second year until they finally eat up the whole country. So this is not a full-scale invasion because that would be uh, trigger harsh mechanism from the NATO and or our allies. But I think this is pretty much like what Putin always do. And we are very much concerned about uh, the U.S. because, you know, right now what we see, the U.S. is focusing on China and the conflict uh, with China. And you really pay less attention to, to Europe. So that's why President Putin can do whatever he wants. And we are really scared of that. That was um, Shandor Yasbrenenyi, and uh, he was on the show Tuesday. And what a difference in just a couple of days. He said uh, they weren't invasion forces, and now headlines in the New York Times and the Detroit Free Press are saying, you know, basically Russia invades. And um, Anyway, so I thought for this first hour, it, well, first of all, I want to tell you Shandor that we just heard from who was on the show Tuesday is the editor-in-chief of a uh, publication called The Continental. And my guest coming up in the second hour of today's three-hour tour has, uh, an, we're going to be talking about an article that she has. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, her name is Judith Newman. She is considered uh, one of the most successful American freelance writers working today with uh, her writing appearing in more than 50 publications, including the New York Times, Vanity Fair, the Wall Street Journal, and now this new publication, The Continental. And she has a new article in there called I'm Here, I'm Disabled, Get Used to It. Um, and uh, then we're going to talk with the author of a uh, novel called Red Burning Sky. Uh, it's a World War II novel inspired by the greatest aviation rescue in history by Tom Young. And he'll be uh, joining me during the third half of our three-hour tour. But this first hour, since we were kind of... Um, well, since it's hard to avoid because every, uh, every news site is... is leading with and and uh, talking about the situation in Ukraine. It seemed impossible not to pay a little attention to that. And so um, I said yesterday in Armchair Politics that watching the news coverage, it all seemed a little bit scripted, which, you know, this is serious stuff, and, and I, I don't want to um, make light of it, but it did make me think a little bit about conspiracy theories and I was looking through the archives to see what I had that might be 
um, if not topical, at least tangentially relevant. And I came across an interview that was a lot of fun to do um, with uh, a historian and uh, author, um, Ilya Yablov is his name, and the book is called uh, Fortress Russia, and it's about conspiracy theories in Russia, and I think you'll uh, enjoy it. That's coming up uh, after our after our first break, but it seems appropriate to listen to uh, just a little bit of uh, Sting's song based on the, the works of Sergei Prokofiev um, called Russians, and uh, we'll listen to a little bit of that to take us up to break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk with uh, Ilya Yablov. Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour has written a book uh, that talks about conspiracy theories. And uh, it's from a different perspective. It's uh, what do Russians have conspiracy theories about with regard to the United States. We hear a lot of conspiracy theories that go the other way. But uh, outlined in a new book called Fortress Russia is a very different perspective on the concept of conspiracy theories and uh, impressions of the United States and so forth. With uh, with me now by phone from Leeds is uh, Ilya Yablakov. Ilya, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me here. News cycles in the U.S. for the last couple of years, really, since the election of 2016, have focused on talking about Russian hacking of uh, U.S. elections and the investigations going on surrounding, uh, uh, I don't know, collusion between uh, President Trump and the Russian government. Um, What do Russians think when they when they see things on on CNN and and in other news sources about those investigations? Does it seem real or is it silly? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, I would like to say that it's it's kind of it's very good for the, you know, for the perception of uh, Russians in the world when the news in the U.S. or in the U.K. claim that. Russian hackers, you know, hacked the elections and basically appointed Donald Trump as the president of the United States. Because, you know, if you look at the uh, at the power of Russia from that perspective, that would mean that Russia is the center of the world. So in that sense, it's a compliment, certainly. So there is nothing conspiratorial about that. But, uh, for example, the events like uh, those in the UK in spring, you know, and uh, uh, a former... Russian uh, intelligence officer uh, was poisoned. Right, right. And his daughter. The Salisbury. Yeah, and his daughter, too. Yeah. So uh, straight away, Theresa May accused uh, Russia, or the Kremlin in particular, in poisoning this guy. And in a way, it formed the whole perception of the case. So in that case, these international news were perceived as a conspiracy against Russia. Because this is something bad, and the Russians are being kind of accused of all possible deeds. It's only later we discovered that, in fact, uh, there was an involvement of Russian special services in that, in that particular incident. But kind of the framing of the news, the framing of the whole story by the British authorities, in, in instantly created an incredible suspicion about the evidence. And so around 60% of the Russians today believe that it's it is all kind of a part of the british conspiracy now Ilya, how you're from russia what what part of russia are you from i'm from siberia originally oh usually people don't come from there they usually get sent there don't they <laughs> well there are some exceptions in fact <laughs> i'm teasing um but what what uh how long have you been away from russia and and where are you and what are you doing now uh i'm a lecturer at the university of leeds i'm teaching russian and russian politics russian history uh and i've been teaching here for like four years already 
but before that, I also lived in Manchester where I did my PhD and also have been here and there and everywhere. So, uh, But I'm, I'm visiting Russia quite often, so it's not that I'm kind of living in isolation or in a bubble. So I kind of, I, I closely follow the news from Russia and also from the world in order to kind of to contextualize this, those conspiracy theories that emerge in Russia. And what, you know, we have all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories here in the U.S. Oh, yes. Um, you know, we, we always joke about the people who walk around in, in foil hats, you know, to keep the government radio waves yeah. from penetrating their brains and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. I, what do the conspiracy theories in, in Russia look like? Oh, well, first of all, I'd like to say that there are lots of conspiracy theories that have been developed in the United States. They've been transferred to Russia and they've been oh, really? kind of reshaped, reshaped, yeah, reshaped a little bit and then kind of turned into uh, anti-Russian conspiracy theories, meaning that, for example, the Trilateral Commission, for example, or the Bilderberg Club Commission, so all these kind of new world or the conspiracy theories, they yeah. have basically uh, shifted to explain uh, the war of the alleged war of the West against Russia. And this is, this is, this is really fascinating when, when, when you explore all this kind of discourse of the New World Order, for example, uh, or let's say um, the MH17 tragedy in Ukraine. So you constantly notice one pattern that no matter what happens, no matter what good happens or bad happens, um, let's say, in the world, uh, Russian offers of conspiracy theories will be connecting those events uh, to the United States, to America, because a lot of this uh, is, is connected to the Cold War heritage and to the idea that the Soviet Union basically lost the Cold War. What about the... Um the the meteor uh, or meteorite rather that uh crashed into uh the the school there in Russia a couple of years ago um it, some people were saying it was uh actually a um uh, uh just short of an alien invasion some people said it was a rocket of some kind uh from another country here on earth possibly the US mm. Um, are, are, do those things foster conspiracy theories? Are there people running around talking about having uh, alien encounters and, and spacemen? Well, yeah, that? definitely. Yeah, uh, I must say that uh, Russian conspiracy culture is also quite rich. Well, certainly it cannot be compared to the American conspiracy culture, which is number one in the world in my um perception, but uh, all those stories about aliens or about some strange uh, UFOs or some strange objects flying in the sky, uh, th there is a certain type of conspiracy theory about the UFO, but it's not the major strength, I would say. These uh, sort of conspiracy theories in Russia, they're very niche, so very few people actually share and develop those kind of discourses. Uh, I would say that kind of more abstract conspiracy theories, such as the one that, you know, an abstract West or the United States or the United Kingdom 
conspire against Russia, like MI6, CIA, uh, these conspiracy theories are actually uh, much, much more popular. And at the same time, as I said, they're very uh, abstract. So any, uh, they're very loose. So you can virtually uh, com- kind of introduce all sorts of facts, all sorts of events, even the makeup events, into those um, kind of conspiracy theories. So if you, if we compare the two countries, uh, we can also kind of make a conclusion that conspiracy cultures in Russia and the U.S. are basically uh, coming out of the idea of messianic role of the nation in the global history. So for the United States, it was the, uh, the city upon the hill, kind of the idea of Christian um, and democratic, you know, um, yeah. Messianism, and in Russia, it's more or less the same. It's also a great country, a great empire that must play a big role in the world's politics, and it's also uh, the biggest Orthodox Christian empire that also kind of make allows uh, certain intellectuals in Russia claim that we are pure Christians, unlike those corrupt Catholics or Protestants or whatever. So, kind of these these sorts of ideas were certainly uh, developed uh, in the 19th century when Russia was actually playing a huge role in in global affairs. And again, we should not um, underestimate the role of the Cold War in these discourses. Just like in the United States, in Russia, this period is related very closely to the development of this anti-U.S., anti-West conspiracy uh, theories. And when you talk about, uh, is there is there widespread support for um, Vladimir Putin and for the government by the people of Russia, or are they as distrustful of their leaders as uh, people are in the U.S.? Well, uh, again, I, I don't, I don't know whether it is directly connected to conspiracy theories, but um, uh, we can say that Vladimir Putin is definitely supported widely by different uh, communities. And what has been achieved in the 2000s is the fact that Vladimir Putin is considered as the leader of the country in a way, kind of the whole. Uh, nation-building agenda uh, is revolving around his personality. So uh, in Russia, within Russia, he is presented as the embodiment of the nation, as the kind of the first man and the representative of the whole nation. So and still quite a lot of people support him. The question is how can we um, check how many people exactly support him? to the quality of sociological polls. So it is quite questionable. And what, but what can we see like from the media discourse or from the conversations with uh, ordinary people? It's basically Vladimir Putin is supported. People trust him, kind of a lot of people trust him. Uh, but how many of them genuinely trust him? Uh, that's a big question. Well, I, I guess I was sort of drawing the comparison that there are a lot of people in the United States who, for one reason or another, uh, wrap their conspiracy theories around the notion that that the government is evil and out to get them. 
And I just wonder, mm-hmm. is, there, yeah. is there a faction like that in, in Russia that, that thinks the government is evil and out to get them? Uh, well, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, there is a certain division between Vladimir Putin as the president and, and as a national leader and the government. Because the nature of uh, state institutions in the U.S. and in Russia is very different. So we cannot really compare that. But if you look at kind of, we try to compare those cons- conspiracy theories or conspiracy theories about uh, the government that is trying to get the people, it's uh, kind of, we can say that a lot of people in Russia are skeptical about the government uh, and uh, the prime minister, Dmitry Medvedev, because he is used uh, by the media, by various pro-Kremlin intellectuals, as you know, kind of the embodiment of the bad government uh, in contrast to the good leader, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So whatever happens bad in the country, whenever you need to criticize the government or a certain governmental decision, uh, kind of a certain minister is taken or prime minister himself is taken as the target for criticism. And then in, in that kind of, uh, in that model, Vladimir Putin is uh, left outside of this criticism. So he is beyond criticism. Uh-huh. But whatever that happens, or what kind of, you know, nasty new reform is introduced, it is introduced by, by the government. But again, this is, it was made on purpose to kind of, to, to shield Vladimir Putin from criticism on uh, domestic, like economic and social uh, agenda. You know what? Um, what's what's interesting to me is this this uh, idea that you mentioned a while uh, a little while ago, Ilya, that the U.S. is 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 the, has the most conspiracy theories and. The, is the most prolific when it comes to conspiracy theories. Um, is that allowed to flourish here because of the press and the way the press is, is uh, treated here? And how, how does that differ in, in Russia from here? Would Russia have more conspiracy theories if the press covered them more? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I would say that kind of the online media now helping a lot to develop those conspiracy cultures. I mean, uh, certainly in the United States, certainly in the United States, there is a, again, there is a a huge, rich tradition of conspiracy theories. And a lot of uh, conspiracy authors were using the radio, for example, radio stations to promote their ideas. Late in the 1990s, they started using the internet, and the internet provided a lot of uh, kind of, you know, uh, ground for various uh, speculation and various uh, conspiratorial myths. In Russia, the kind of the situation is slightly different because uh, in the 1990s, when, when the media were liberalized, kind of a lot of media, a lot of journalists basically started exploiting various conspiracy theories in order to, you know, get popularity. Sure. Uh, but, but, but before the Internet actually became dominant uh, media source, uh, it was basically the book culture. Books were the main 
uh, providers of conspiracy theories. And, and here we need again to look back into the history of the Soviet dissident movement because a lot of conspiracy authors uh, were uh, a part of the dissident movement. So they were anti-government in many ways. But they had to hide, they were publishing their works illegally. And basically that was the whole uh, far-right underground in the Soviet Union. So when kind of the liberalization happened at the end of the 1980s, those people uh, got the right to publish their works and actually promote their ideas openly. So in the 1990s and in the 2000s, there was a flood of uh, books about conspiracy theories all sorts of conspiracy theories, and they were available everywhere. But then uh, the Internet became very popular, uh, first in Moscow and then in the region. So now all those communities, they basically communicate through the Internet, through chats, through forums, uh, and, and uh, um, social networks too. So in that sense, we can, we can now see no difference between how conspiracy theories communicated in the U.S. or in Russia. Interesting. What are some of the uh, better known or more popular conspiracy theories in Russia? Uh, Well, I'm always asked this question, and I'm always, like, uh, slightly um, confused to answer that. Um, Well, first of all, uh, kind of the key event uh, that helps promote conspiracy theories of all sorts is the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991 ah. and how rapidly, how rapidly it happened. For us in it the U.S., makes, yeah, yeah, for us in the U.S., uh, that, that defining moment that creates a lot of conspiracy theories was the assassination of JFK. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, that, that's for sure. But then we need to kind of, if you look at, the historical kind of period. Then we're going to see, uh, first of all, the who created the uh, Russian Revolution, right, in 1917. Sure. And that would mean that a lot of far-right uh, will be claiming that it was the Jews who did that, right? Because there, were, there was a huge number of people with the Jewish background yeah. participating in the revolutionary movement. Uh, so that is certainly kind of uh, quite a popular idea among certain circles, again. But then uh, nowadays, if you look at um, kind of this conspiracy underground, we're going to say, or oh, conspiracy culture, as you wish, uh, that would be certainly uh, 1991 as conspiracy against Russia. And be, there will be a lot of myth-making, a lot of uh, fake stories, uh, fake publications or fake uh, or even fake speeches by politicians who admit that uh, they personally participated in the collapse of the Soviet Union. So, for instance, Margaret Thatcher, the British Prime Minister, or uh, Bill Clinton, American President, or George Bush with his uh, speech on the New World Order. So all those speeches, fake or real, they work for one simple target to explain that in Russia in 1991, there was a conspiracy of political elites together with the West to destroy the great country. And then kind of the nature of the Soviet collapse, how quickly it disappeared, 
in August and then in December, officially, uh, that certainly provides certain ground to believe in those conspiracy theories to many people. Because, again, a lot of people in Russia literally suffered from the collapse of the economy and the state. And, and I'm fascinated about the, uh, the sense of nationalism when it comes to, uh, like, for example, reports in the U.S. that, that Russians uh, had some impact on uh, the election um, that, mm. uh, that, that supported uh, Donald Trump. That mm-hmm. that somehow, if if Russia did that, it was heroic. But that if the U.S. did the reverse to Russia, it would be somehow evil. Is that a fair look at it? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you if you're talking about the participation of American politicians in uh, uh, in the events in the late uh, last years of the Soviet Union, well, certainly. Uh, the United, well, American elites were in a way interested. Uh, again, a certain part of it was interested in the weak Soviet Union. And certainly, like, naturally, the Soviet Union was, uh, in a very bad shape, uh, in the 80s. So, on the one hand, George Bush, as, according to the memoirs, was very interested in kind of sustaining the Soviet Union because uh, the predictions about the collapse and the consequences for the world were quite dramatic. But on the other hand, uh, well, certainly losing, losing such a strong competitor, such as kind of, um, you know, counterpartner in, um, in the global affairs, uh, was beneficial for American elites and kind of the whole idea of the unipolar world, the whole idea of new world order, in a way explains how... Um, you know, how events were developing from 1991. Uh, on the other hand, what happened in the 2000s when Vladimir Putin becomes kind of uh, rhetorically very anti-U.S., if you remember this is, uh, uh fascinating speech in 2007 in Munich when he criticized uh, America for creating this new world order, uh, that is kind of also interesting because the whole idea of the unipolar world was questioned by Russia and was spread by the Russian uh, diplomacy around the world. And a lot of countries joined that um, kind of process of questioning whether the U.S. is, uh, has the right uh, to kind of rule the world uni- um, kind of unilaterally, you know, in, as, 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 a, as a sole superpower. So in that sense, when, 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 when Russia manages, allegedly, right, when Russian... Russian spies or Russian hackers managed to get inside of this uh, fortress, fortress America, right, and hack yeah. the election. That certainly is a reason for for pride, for national pride, uh, because kind of again, Russians suffered quite a lot, including from the liberal reforms that are widely perceived as uh, developed in the in the U.S. We'll have more about conspiracy theories in post-Soviet Russia with Ilya Yablokov straight ahead. Tom Sumner, Program.com Tom Sumner, Program.com From 
from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. We'll have more about conspiracy theories in post-Soviet Russia with Ilya Yablokov straight ahead. How, how different is, is uh, life for the average Russian? Um, how, how different is it from when Russia was central to the Soviet Union? Well, it's hard to judge. I didn't live in the Soviet Union that long. I was born in 1984, so the only thing I remember was actually the colors of the Soviet Union. Ah, uh, you're just you're just a youngster. Uh, in a way, yeah. Well, something something to blame me for, right? <laughs> but no, 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 not at all. Um, but but I'm I'm curious if see there are a lot of people in the U.S that are completely disengaged from politics, from what the government does. Uh-huh. They live their lives, and they really don't know or care what's uh-huh. going on. Uh-huh. And is, uh-huh. Are there people in Russia like that, that that are just, they just do their jobs and live their lives and don't pay any attention to politics and what's going on around the world? Uh, well, in a way, in a way, it is true. Like when, especially in the 1990s, you know, when people had to survive during the reforms, that was certainly kind of politics, uh, especially foreign politics. It wasn't on the agenda of an ordinary uh, person in Russia. But I must tell you something interesting. So, if we compare the two societies, I think. I personally think that, especially when I travel in American kind of you know, in the Midwest of the United States, uh, when I'm staying outside of you know New York or Washington, uh, so I see quite a lot of people who remind me of the Russians. So in that sense, kind of ordinary Americans, ordinary Russians, are in many ways very similar, right? On the on kind of on the friendly level. But then if we compare kind of attitudes towards politics and what interests the ordinary Russian and the ordinary American, the situation will be very contrasting. Uh, Americans, like Europeans, like the Britons here, they're very much interested in domestic agenda. What happens in their backyard? Sure. What happens in their neighborhoods? What happens in the, in the town, in the city? So they are very concerned with the local agenda. And for many, many uh, years in Russia, a lot of people were not kind of were excluded from the local uh, events, from the local politics, due to the nature of the regime. Instead, kind of the fact that Russians were not, or the Soviets were not able to travel abroad to see things in the world, kind of to explore the world, they were basically isolated from the world. They were very much interested in what was going on around the world. So kind of foreign policy in the Soviet Union was one of the major interests of the northern uh, Soviet man. Same pattern um, takes place, could be found, in post-Soviet Russia. Today, when people watch uh, the news, they don't watch the news about, well, they watch the news about domestic politics, but they are equally fascinated with what is going on around the world, in Ukraine, 
in Germany, in the UK, in the, Soviet, in the United States. So these are the topics which are very interesting. And, and if you look at the talk shows on the state channels, very often these are the talk shows about foreign politics, about what sure. uh, a certain country did to Russia or what, how we should treat a certain event. Uh, in the world, how we should treat, for example, immigration of people from the Middle East to Europe in 2015-16. So how that should be treated. And that kind of topics are very popular in Russia. And that is kind of, again, one of those, um, uh, let's say, scars on the body of the nation in since uh, the period of the Cold War. What do people in Russia think of Donald Trump? Uh, it's a very, I mean, it's, it's a complicated question. I think that at some point uh, after the elections, when he won, people were quite fascinated with the way how this guy uh, speaks to people, you know, how he approaches people, how <laughs> he, like, uh, in a way, how rude he is sometimes. And that kind of, that very manly, you know, approach really was uh, a kind of caused sympathy of the Russians. And at the same time, uh, we, must, we must keep in mind that the media were covering the campaign uh, in a very biased way. Hillary Clinton was, for many years, presented as the enemy of Russia for the comments she yeah. made years ago about Vladimir Putin, etc. So uh, apparently, you know, the media, the journalists on the state-controlled channels were very much critical of, of Hillary Clinton and uh, more positive about Donald Trump. Hence the result. Put, uh, Trump is kind of is perceived as the, you know, as a representative of good forces. Well, Ilya, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but unfortunately, we're just just Listen. about out of time, and uh, so I want to um, hang on just a second. I want to uh, let people know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, your book, Fortress Russia, is a good place to start. Do you have a uh, a website, Ilya? No, unfortunately, no. I just I post everything on my university profile, but I'm working on the website right now, you know. Yeah, I'm a young academic, so that's why I'm learning all these things <laughs> in action. <laughs> Got it. Do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's so people Ilya could... Yablokov. Yeah, Ilya Yablokov. Yeah. Y-A-B-L-O-K-O-V. Excellent. Well, Ilya, thank you so much for spending time talking thank with me so about much. this, and uh, good luck with your studies, and good luck with your uh, your teaching, and, and uh, also your writing. Thank you so much. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. That was... Uh, Ilya Yablakov, he is author of a book called Fortress Russia, where he examines Russian conspiracies about the U.S. and much, much more. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work 
church. I avoid old folks. And should I sneeze, I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I take them down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me the death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.